Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Talking Knicks. I am here with my good friend Tom and my brother Kenny. And hey, let's talk Knicks. The New York Knicks select Christoph Porzingis. Post the toes, puffing and stuffing. Again, igniting and exciting the garden crowd. So, uh, we just had the All-Star break. Before the break, we, we lost to the... 76ers and the Wizards, since we last spoke, the Knicks went into the break on a, a fairly long losing streak. It, it's not looking good. It's nine. Depends on your perspective. It lost seven in a row or eight in a row. It's eight. It lost eight games in a row. That's not very good. But it does depend on your perspective. And what do you mean by that, Kenny? I mean, at this point, we'd like to get a better pick and the more games we lose the better pick we're going to get because with Porzingis out um and i mean they pretty much admitted that they're not really trying to win so much as they are to, trying to develop players at this point so i think like tom said in the last pod <clears throat> best case scenario is we play great every game and then we lose in overtime yep that sounds perfect and be careful saying that you want the Knicks to lose because Mark Cuban just said might be best for the Mavericks to start losing, and then he got fined six hundred thousand dollars. So yeah, and then Darren Ravel came out and he was like, "Yeah, but like he's a billionaire, so that's the normal person getting fined twenty eight dollars." I I would go as far as say it's like a normal person getting fined six hundred thousand dollars. I agree with you, but Darren Ravel said it, and I was just like, "That's just a." dumb tweet for no real reason but that's what he said so i thought i'd relay it here did you guys see the pose darren rovell struck in on in his tweet where he was like trying to do like a american's next top model sort of look in a pair of like skinny jeans and a leather jacket i didn't i did not and i'm glad that i didn't i didn't i'm I'm sad that i did i'll forward that around after the pod all right because i mean Darren Novell, sometimes he says cool stuff, but uh, a lot of the times I feel like he's, uh, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson. You know how he just tries to interject science into everything, regardless of whether it's it matters or not. I feel like sometimes that's what Darren Novell does. So hey, you get you got one job, you might as well do it. Yeah, apparently. All right. Well, let's see what we got on the Knicks front. There's not much ever since Porzingis went down. The the season has become a a lost cause. It was already on its way out, and then Porzingis got injured, and, and now we're just all sad. So, first was a 108-92 loss to the 76ers, and we got McConnell. TJ McConnell, worst player in the NBA when he's not facing the Knicks. Best player in the NBA when he is facing the Knicks. This guy po- posts his first career triple-double, and I'd I'd go as far as to say he just posted his last career triple double. <laughs> I'd agree ten, with that. Yeah. 10 points, 10 rebounds, and 11 assists. I, I don't know. The Knicks are just terrible. Uh, they let Terry Rozier get his first career triple double like a, a, a little bit shortly before this. It just seems to be something that happens with the Knicks in the backcourt. They, they can't do much. Kenny, do you watch this game? Do you see anything? Uh, I mean, I did watch this game. It was a long time ago. Don't remember much. Um, 
but I do remember kind of the bench going crazy when McConnell pulled down that last uh, rebound with, you know, at the end of the game. And I think it's, I mean, it started out as a joke, right? Where like every time some bad player would go off on us, we'd, we'd we were initially called the McConnelling because he was, I think the first person to do it. And then there was Nawabang because he did it to yep. us twice. But like, why is this actually a thing that's happening? Like bad players just, having career games against the Knicks. Um, yeah, and I think so, we came up with the we came up with the term last year when TJ McConnell hit the game winner. The game winner. Us. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's tough. And the thing about it is like Ben Simmons had a relatively quiet game by I mean, I guess his standards. He still went for 13 6 and 6, but like not a not a crazy scoring game and Bede was held to 17. And then you got McConnell out there getting a triple double. I mean, he only had 10 points, but still 10 rebounds and 11 assists. Like what's he doing? Yeah. And Tom, I know you didn't watch this game, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you a fact. You're, you're going to tell me what you think about it. So Jeff Hornacek decided to change up the starting lineup and he took out Courtney Lee. So far, so, so far, so good. Okay. What do you got? Don't get your hopes up. Took out Courtney Lee and he put in Lance Thomas. What do you oh. think? Um, yeah, that's a pretty peculiar move. I, I think it's like a six and one, half dozen in the other type of situation. You're not really going any younger. Um, I I don't think that's really all that important of a rotation change. I think what was an interesting rotation change was the the point guard rotation, and I think this is the first time where Knicks fans were kind of encouraged where Jarrett Jack only played 17 and a half minutes in this one. Uh, Frank Nilakina led the point guards with 21, and Amudier had just over 19. So Jarrett Jack actually played the fewest minutes of, of the, the trio there, and I think that was what we were hoping was going to be the, the pattern going forward. It proved quickly not to be. But I think in terms of a, a formula for point guard, point guard rotations, this is the closest we've gotten in quite some time. Uh, with with Jared Jack's minutes being limited and and more minutes for the young guys, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what we we want to see going forward. Hopefully, even uh, with Jared Jack being replaced by Trey Burke, and that may be the case. Uh, as they said that they wanted to rethink things after the the All Star break and then address address the changes to the to the minute distribution for the young fellows. Let's just move on to the Wizards game, which you're talking about right now. Um, Jared Jack had played 17 and a half minutes. We were encouraged by that in the in the 76ers game. But this game, he's, he's right back to where he was, 28 minutes. This guy finished the game with five points, five assists, two rebounds on one for five shooting from the field. And yet he just played the entire – most of the fourth quarter. Um, Frank only played 11 minutes. Moutier played 20. Jack, again, played 28. The Knicks lost this game by five. First half of this game was very fun. The Knicks were winning by 27 at one point, I want to say. They were winning by 21 at halftime. Things were looking good. And then very, very quickly in the third quarter, things started looking terrible. Um, They blew a 21-point halftime lead in eight and a half minutes. It's like before the third quarter was even over, this game was tied. Um I know I texted you guys when 
it was an 18 point game, and I said Knicks were winning by 21 at halftime. I can pretty much guarantee they're about to lose. You could just see the energy level right out of halftime was just so terrible. The Wizards just were like, we're way better than this other team, so let's just win. But let's talk about the good stuff. Kenny, you watched it. That Tim Hardaway Jr. first half was was nothing short of amazing, especially coming out of the shooting slump. Yeah, um, and I watched this in kind of a weird order. I got home at halftime, and then I think you were the one who told us, you guys should really check out the first half because it was fun to watch. So after the game, I saw that Bradley Beal um, said something about you know how he was going to put – he told uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. that he just wasn't going to let him score. And then Tim Hardaway Jr. I think scored uh, four points in the second half or five points in the second half. But then I watched the first half, like after that, and Bradley Beal was just guarding Tim Hardaway Jr. the entire time when Tim Hardaway Jr. scored 32 points in the first half. So it's like, what are you talking trash for after you gave up 32 points and a half, man? Like, I get it. He didn't play as well in the second half, but like he still put up 37 points total on you. So not not something to talk trash about. But the good thing was that, like you said, uh, Timmy Timmy was hot. Um, I think he started eight for nine or something like that from the field, and he hit a bunch of threes. He ended up six for nine from three, which is great because you guys were talking about how uh, he was shooting some ridiculously low percentage from uh, three in the last 10 to 15 games. So, I mean, that that's just what we want to see at this point is him getting his shot back and getting things in order and – um, hopefully developing kind of an all-around game and improving his defense. Because, like, right now it's all about development rather than actually trying to win. Um, yes, yeah, I th- think that's my two cents. Yeah, and he shot six for nine from three against the Wizards. And I think the, the stat was before that he was shooting, shooting 16% on his previous 50 three-pointers. So... Or fifty, or, or maybe sixty. I think he was ten for sixty. Is that right, Tom? Yeah, That's 10, right. Ten for sixty. Ten for his previous sixty. But there was a fun stretch of basketball during that first half. Uh, yeah. Timmy caught an alley oop. I think he hit back to back threes, and then Cantor like someone flopped on him, and then he just dunked it and stood over him, and it was a lot of fun. And we were like, "Hey, we might win again." But the the Knicks may actually not win again for the rest of the season instead. And Greg, I want to talk about Cantor's line a little bit. I mean, he put up 24 points, 14 boards, and five assists. That might be a career high for him. And the, the Knicks are actually plus one in Cantor's 34 minutes. You Usually he is not the plus-minus darling there. But, uh, I mean, he was really a stud in this one. And I've been hearing a lot of analysts. I, I've been listening over the All-Star break, like different rankings and, and stuff like that. And, and just everyone I respect, no one gives Cantor any credit for being a, a productive player. But, I mean, I feel like he's really undervalued as a guy who, who scores, who, who really works on the glass, gets boards. And, and the fact that he was even able to put up five assists is impressive. It's, it's rare that he does that. But, I don't know, I, I want to say that Cantor's just been like, just kind of uh, made fun of so much, like kind of a, become a... a whipping boy to, a, to an extent and he he's actually become underrated at this point what do you guys think about that yeah i'll buy that uh, i think i mean obviously the fourth quarter is important but i think too much stock is put into the fourth quarter when it comes to canter 
because just the hustle this guy shows in every single first quarter through the th- third quarter when he can play is is important. And we yeah. need that. And I think one the other thing that weighs against him is uh, just his contract. Like I think if he he was on a reasonable contract, people would love him. And I think that Greg's talked about this before on uh, a lot of ba- basketball podcasts about uh, kind of Jay Crowder, how he his contract was so good that he started to become overrated because it was such a good value. And I think it's kind of the opposite with Enos Cantor, where you know if if he's not getting paid whatever eighteen million dollars, then people are looking at him as a very productive player if he's getting paid a, a more reasonable salary, even despite his you know defensive flaws. So I think that's that's kind of the the one thing that's holding him back in the in the eyes of most most of the media, I think. And one comparison I'll make for for the John Boy fans out there, I think Cantor's kind of like the Brett Gardner of this team. He's he's the pulse. Um, without him, not not of these not a lot of these guys seem to have much fight in them other than Cantor. So if he's not out there just going all out after every ball, uh, I don't think anybody is. So. Think he's important. He's a real bully. Like I, I listened to uh, to Nate Duncan's podcast. I'll reference it sometimes to you guys. And they were doing a, a ranking of all the centers in the league. And Cantor didn't get mentioned until somewhere in like the late twenties. Like they, I mean, they had Derek Favors over him. Um, they had like Pau Gasol, who's you know been been fine for the Spurs, but it's just like Cantor brings an ele- element of physicality of toughness. And he's just, I mean, he, he is a real load down there. That yeah. A lot of guys can't really match him. Offensively, he has to be one of the top centers in the league. Like, I understand his defense is bad and he is completely unable to guard the pick and roll. But offensively, he's a great post player and he's one of the best offensive rebounders in the game. So, I mean, he uh, those rankings sound just a little bit kind of disrespectful to just what he's been able to accomplish. Yeah, I mean he's he's extremely skilled with the ball, um, and I know they put a lot of value in centers being able to protect the rim. It's the last line of defense, and they think that like defense is the most important for the center position, more important than for any other position. So I, I get all that, but um, even with all that said, having a guy with Cantor's skill set, just a big man with with touch who can play with aggression. Um, it's it's not common in the league these days and for teams that want to go small and like run out these these like wings as centers Cantor really doesn't let you do that because he is such a monster on the offensive glass and he and he can just score on on anybody smaller than him yeah and I mean I I know uh the defense is bad on the perimeter but weren't there stats earlier this year about his um you know defense at the rim was surprisingly good uh, I mean, I, I know that that was a stat thrown out much earlier in the year, so maybe he's come down to earth a little bit. But I think, you know, that phase of his game might be underrated because, you know, he is physical down low to the extent he gets post up. He he stays vertical most of the time. It's just once he gets on the perimeter, that's when he kind of gets abused. Yeah, I think he also benefited a lot from uh, being next to Chris Stapps, not having to be the the primary rim protector when you got a seven foot three guy who's leading the NBA in blocks. I think that was that was helpful to his his uh, down low numbers in the, on defense. But I mean, if that's all we got to say about these games, we can move on. I know Kenny 
What do you got to say? I, I had one more kind of thing about that. Uh, I know we, we talked briefly about kind of the rotations and how Jared Jack ended up um, closing out that game for no real reason. Uh, and afterwards, Jeff Hornacek said something to the effect of, oh, you know, these young guys haven't really been in that position. So, you know, we didn't want to just throw them into it. And some guy, I don't remember who it was, but someone on Twitter had a great response, which was, if only Jeff Hornacek knew someone who could get them experience in those situations, which yeah, that's, is That's pretty great. funny. Yeah, because Jeff Hornacek is the person who should be doing that in this meaningless game. Every exactly. single game that the Knicks play for the rest of the season is meaningless in the sense it would be meaningless if they won. And can yeah. you just to close the loop on the on the canter thing to, on the rim protection numbers you were talking about? I uh, just looked them up quickly. So there are 59 players in the league who have defended at least 175 shots at the rim, and Cantor ranks 45th out of those 59. So it's not great. Yeah. But it's, All right. So it's come it's come down. I, I remember that was a while ago that we we brought that up that I thought he was in the top 10. That maybe not it wasn't rim protection or maybe it was just. Something else, but I thought he was he was surprisingly good. No, I remember the stat. It, it was rim protection, but the thing is that these these numbers aren't you know they don't tell the, the whole story. Like at this point, Cantor is better at protecting the rim than Stephen Adams, who's considered one of the best defensive centers mm-hmm. in the league. Better than DeAndre Jordan, who you know at least at his peak is one of the best rim protecting centers. So um, I, I wouldn't put like these stats aren't the end all be all, but it is a data point to use. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, that was just closing off the, the Cantor conversation. Ready to move on there, Greg. All right. Well, let's move on then. Uh, I know Kenny watched this uh, Rising Stars game with our, our good pal Frank. So what did you see from Frank? Uh, for um, it, it Basically what the, the teams did was they did wholesale substitutions halfway through each quarter. And then I, I'm not sure um, if – I think Frank might have came in for a couple minutes at the end, but the fourth quarter was – uh, just a little different um, in their substitution patterns. But Frank came in uh, last five minutes or so of the first, second, and third quarters. And first and second quarter, he just looked very tentative, kind of like he does normally. And like this was a game that it's, – it's an exhibition, so I was hoping he was going to show out, maybe go one-on-one with someone and try to take him to the hoop. Uh, he started out the, the, the game with a nice um, cut and dunk, which was cool. Um, and then from there, it was just – normal dribble it up the court and pass it to someone else and you know it's an exhibition game so once you pass it you're never going to get it back uh once he got into the third quarter um he was a little more aggressive he he seemed to be going a lot harder at rebounds and pushing the pace a little bit more and and uh dropping some nice passes but you know the first two quarters i was just a little disappointed in in the show out and he never really you know went at anybody which i wanted to see because i remember a few years ago when tim hardaway jr was a rookie him and Dion waiters had that epic battle where both of them just shot ridiculous three after ridiculous three and made them all so that's what i was hoping for didn't get it um it wasn't a terrible game for him but like i said he i, I wish he was a little more aggressive and i i wish that uh you know that carried over onto the season yeah i mean that's just been his thing the entire season. He's not, he's not that type of player really yet. Uh, maybe next year, if he gets invited back, he'll be better prepared. Assuming Hornacek is gonna give him the experience he needs. So, well, Kenny, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, how did Dennis Smith Jr. do? 
I don't even remember how Dennis Smith Jr. did. Like, I know he was in the dunk contest, and some people think that that was, uh, you know, the indication that he should have been on the Knicks instead of, uh, instead of uh, Frank. But that doesn't mean anything. I'm actually, I actually have the stats in front of me now. He went. Dennis Smith went three for ten for seven points, which, you know, is okay, not great. Uh, Frank's end uh, end stats were six points on three of six shooting, five assists, four rebounds, and three steals, plus nineteen. So, I'd say he actually did you know about the same or better than Dennis Smith Jr. So suck it, all you people who want Dennis Smith Jr. And I'm comfortable basing all the analysis on the Rising Stars challenge. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with be. that as well. Yeah. But I will say, Dennis Smith Jr.'s dunk in the dunk contest was pretty cool. He did like a reverse 360 through the legs, yeah. and then he dunked it. It was cool. Yeah, and I know I know we were talking about this, or I texted you guys about this, but I watched the dunk contest. It was pretty cool. Um, there was not that many great dunks. Uh, Larry Nance Jr., Pretty good dunker, um, pretty good at the windmill. But what I was saying to you guys, it is crazy how much better uh, Vince Carter is at doing windmills than any other player I've ever seen. Like, I don't know what it is about his windmills, but they just look so much better. Yeah, he goes he goes full extension. I know uh, Mitchell, when he was doing that on that last one, had like a little bit of a bend at his, in his elbow. Yeah, and that 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 looked pretty bad just because – you know, you, you're trying to set yourself up to do the Vince Carter and you're never going to do it as good as Vince Carter. So I, I just didn't think that that was uh, that great of a dunk. Yeah, it's and, like it's like trying to cover an Adele song when you're singing, you know, you just don't yeah. do it. <laughs> exactly. I like exactly. That. I think the dunk contest was more so whoever was wearing the coolest jersey won while they dunked it. That was the other thing is that Larry Nance Jr. got into the second round of the dunk contest by being the son of Larry Nance because he just did he did callbacks to his dad's dunks and like people just gave him really good scores. I was like, okay, all right. Yeah, um, I, I would say his dunks didn't look that difficult, but he he made them look pretty good. He he really got yeah. up. Yeah, no, his his dunks were fine, um, and I think maybe Dennis Smith Jr had better dunks than Larry Nance in the first round, but because of, you know, the element Larry Nance got. All right, I think we kind of lost you now. So Yeah, we lost Kenny for a minute, but that's okay. We're ready to talk about the Knicks again, I think. All right, well, what do you want to talk about, Tom? You know what you should talk about quickly. Um, Troy Williams signed to a 10-day contract, recently let go by the Houston Rockets, and now the Knicks have signed him. Oh. Yeah, so so he's kind of a, a wing, right? He's like a bouncy athletic wing, six yeah. seven guy. Exactly. Uh, where do you I go mean, to school? He's Indiana. He left after his junior year. Um, yeah, so he's got athleticism. Uh, he doesn't have much of a stroke. I mean, he's not a bad shooter. He's just not a good shooter. He's just very much mediocre. I think they want. Ideally, you'd want him to develop that stroke, and then I don't know, be being an energy guy off the bench. So, and I think uh, he won the G League contest, dunk G- contest. Yeah, for all of, for all you people who wanted someone 
who won the dunk contest to be in on your team. Um, and I think like Greg said, he's, he, he's an okay shooter. Uh, some of the highlights I saw of him, uh, he had a very good game with Houston last year where I think he had 21 points and he made, you know, five or six threes. So it looks like he has the potential to develop into a consistent shooter, but uh, I think to this point in the season in the G league, he's been launching seven, a game at something like a 33% clip maybe, which isn't terrible, but you know, a lot, most people who shoot from that much shoot much better uh, percentage from there. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if Hornacek gets him into the game. I mean, the Knicks don't really have, I mean, they, I, I don't think they can really sit down like guys like Lance Thomas or Courtney Lee, especially since if the, if they're going to want to trade them in the off season, you still have to show that they have value. So be tough I mean, to, while Lance while Lance Thomas is the best player on the team, um, I think he's a guy that you know they might be okay with sitting. Whereas Courtney Lee is a guy that they just can't sit. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. obviously can't sit, and Frank and Frank Moutier and Burke, you hope they don't sit. Um, so I think you're right that you know one of those guys is going to have to play small forward, and then I don't know where that leaves uh, Troy Williams. Yeah, I think he's more of a small forward guy too. Yeah. So, so yeah, so one of them is going to have to play small forward though to get all of them in the game is what I'm saying. <clears throat> um, also, fun fact: he's wearing number zero, so now we have a number zero and a number number double zero with an Enos Cantor. So, take that as you will. That is a fun fact. It's pretty fun. So, guys, I've got a couple reports from. ESPN's Ian Begley up here. I think I'd like to talk about both of them. You guys can decide which direction to go. But one of them is that he said he tweets, it seems likely that Emmanuel Moutier will start at point guard against Orlando on Thursday, which is tomorrow. Um, and then the other one is talking about uh, who the Knicks seem to be interested in drafting. Um, so do you guys want to – are you guys interested in talking about either of those? Yeah, let's talk about yeah, both of All right, we got time. Um yeah, let's, Greg will let's talk about one of them, and I'll talk about the other at the same time, just to at the same save time. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's good. Uh, I mean, I'll lead us off with this Moutier starting business. I, I, mean, I think it makes sense. Uh, Frank, still very raw. Moutier's been in the league. This is his third season. I think he's he's got experience starting. So if, if they think they have more stock in Moutier than they do in Trey Burke, which seems obvious since Trey Burke has received a, a couple DNPs when you, you'd think they'd want to be develop, developing him. So, I mean, yeah, Moutier, still very young guy, a lot of potential. I think it makes sense to start him. Uh, hopefully Jared Jack is, is a good mentor from now on and, and actually does not come into the basketball game. That'd be ideal. But starting Moutier over Frank – I'm all for it. Frank, maybe he starts eventually, but I, like they've said, you got to earn it. And Frank really doesn't look that great all the time. So starting someone more consistent like Moody, he's got pretty solid numbers. He, his numbers in Denver are pretty good, but they just happen to have two significantly better guards to play in the backcourt. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add on to what Greg's saying. You guys know I'm the biggest Frank fan out there, which I have declared from our first podcast. But uh, I'm with Greg. I, I think that, you know, this is 
you know, a fine move. It's not, you know, it's not an indication that they're, they're down on Frank. They have Frank locked up for the next five years. Uh, Moutier is eligible for an extension this summer. So I think it makes sense to kind of kick the wheels on him, see, see what they have there. And again, it's not, you know, starting isn't the, the, great determiner of anything it's just a it's a matter of who who's getting minutes and as long as you know both him and frank are getting minutes it's i don't see any problem with it because the other thing is outside of tim hardaway jr there's no guarantee that anyone else will be on this team uh for the pro their for the foreseeable future so the hope is that moutier and Frank play together and, you know, develop some chemistry and hopefully they develop some chemistry with, uh, with Tim Hardaway Jr. And, you know, the only other possible guys are Kyle O'Quinn and Enos Cantor if they stick around, but you know, there's no guarantee that that's happening. So uh, I'm not that worried about it. And I don't think you guys should be either. I know. I agree. I, I like to see Moody and, and Neil Aquina play together. I like the two point guard set. We've talked before about how they're both, um, good size for point guards, so they, there wouldn't be an issue if someone guarding a, a shooting guard. Um, and size really wouldn't be an issue even if you paired the three together of Moutier, Nilakina, and Hardaway Jr. But um, I, I just I do want to see Frank get as many reps as possible as the lead ball handler, you know, because it's really been a struggle for him. He's like we said, he's been tentative, he's been deferential. He, he needs to show. A little more aggressiveness on that end, and the only way to do it. I mean, a little muffled. Sorry to oh, say. Sorry, I, I must be covering up my microphone there. The, can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. The only way Frank is going to be able to show that aggressiveness that we need from him is just getting more reps. And so I like Moutier. Um, I like Moutier playing. I like, and Moutier really can't play off the ball as much as well as Frank can. But um, as long as Frank's still getting his reps as the lead ball handler and initiating the offense then I, I'm okay with uh, with them playing together. Yeah, yeah. and I, I agree with you there, Tom. Um, I think and I think that Frank is going to get reps at uh, that point guard and then Hornacek has said as much. Um, I think one thing for him is, you know, he hit a point this season where whenever he made a mistake, Hornacek would just pull him, and now that's not going to be the case. So I think I'm hoping to see a little more confidence out of him because, you know, he's – He's going to be in a situation where if he makes a mistake, he's going to stay in the game because that's the whole point is he's supposed to be developing. So hopefully that gives him a chance to develop some confidence. Yeah, and I think it was easier to to want Frank in the starting lineup when they had Porzingis, who had a guy who commanded so much attention on defense. But now that he's gone, everybody on, on offense is going to have to hold their own against the starting unit when – once the game begins. So I think him getting his reps against second units may be for the best uh, currently. But as he develops more and more, maybe he'll be more ready to play against first units. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. Because Porzingis was pretty good. I don't know if you guys remember him. He was good uh, it, was, it was a long time ago, but I have you know vague recollections of happiness in my past, which have all yeah. but disappeared. Yeah, the thing is, with the, with the Porzingis injury, I feel like a lot of Knicks fans are going to kind of get these rose-colored glasses. Where they're is, is that the phrase? Rose-tinted glasses? What do they say? Where, where they yeah. look, where they look back and they think like, "Oh, we were so good until Porzingis got hurt, 
and then the season went down the drain, which isn't entirely accurate. Like, yeah. I think that happened with uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. when he was out for like a month. They were like, we need this guy back. We need him back. But even back in the day, earlier this season, he was so wildly inconsistent from yeah. three. He, and he just he launches away and sometimes goes in and sometimes he misses. But yeah. then for an extended period of time, we just had nobody shooting threes at all, which was like we should get back the one guy that shot threes. Yeah, Greg, I think the only difference there is that people were kind of misremembering how good Hardaway Jr. was. I don't think it's a case of misremembering how good Porzingis was. It's just how good the team was when he was healthy. Yeah, yeah and, you're right. I'll yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Um, the other, unless you guys have anything else on that, the other Ian Begley report was uh, that some in the Knicks organization, we're talking about draft prospects here, are high on Michigan State forward Miles Bridges and Villanova wing McHale. Michael McHale. Thank you. I don't. I don't follow college basketball, guys. McHale. I'm what? I'm literally watching Villanova right now. They're up seventy-six to forty-eight against DePaul. Um, well, there you go. So you must have opinions on this. Do you like either or both of those fits uh, for, for the Knicks roster? Uh, yeah, Mikhail's my boy, which I think we we mentioned last podcast. He's uh, he's very long. He's a great defender. He's a great shooter. He's a much improved shooter over the course of his career. Um, but I just like kind of like uh, we've talked about the the combination of Moutier and. Uh, Frank in the backcourt. I like the idea of having mood, having uh, Frank, Porzingis, and Bridges out there playing defense because that's just arms everywhere, like the like the Bucks are right now. Um, Bridges has a I think a seven one wingspan, um, same as Frank, and then uh, Porzingis has a seven four wingspan. So you know that would be fun. That w- and I think that would that'd be kind of nice to have good defensive players out there. Cause I know Courtney Lee is supposed to be our best defender. He's not the defender that he used to be. And he's not the defender that a lot of people think he still is, but he's still a fine defender. And I think bridges is what he used to be as ter- in terms of perimeter defenders. Yeah. I Mikhail think is. Mikhail bridges is a, I think they'd both be great picks. Uh, I think they're both very different from each other though. I think Mikhail is more of a, I don't know, slow and steady, steady force he's gonna he's gonna be i think he's a pretty safe choice i think yeah you're gonna get what you get from him. he's gonna be knockdown shooter pretty athletic good defender is that right kenny right yeah all that's right and uh i think i think you're right i think his ceiling is pretty low but his floor is pretty high yeah and then miles bridges is a freak this dude's an absolute monster he, he flies he would have been a lottery pick last season if he came out. He decided to go back to school, and he's—I mean, he hasn't. His stats haven't jumped, but they're pretty much the same. And he's—he's he's been pretty good. Uh, Michigan State's number two in the country. Nova's number three. These are the two lead guys on those two—two two of the top three teams in the country. And so, I mean, best player on the best team is always a pretty safe pick, I think. I like the strategy of drafting good players on good college basketball teams. I feel like teams have gone away from that a little bit, but uh, I'm I'm yeah. fully on board with yeah, that. I don't know if you, I don't know if you've seen Miles Bridges, Tom, but this guy can fly. He he dunks it with authority. He's he can he's shoot well it. built. He and can, he's well built. Shooting thirty seven percent from three. Yeah, he's six seven too. So 
Tom's Tom's big on the NBA body. And yeah, he's, he's, got, he's a, got an NBA body. Yeah, he's got a he's got a good NBA body. Uh Mikael has NBA length. So yeah. I think these are both good picks. Yeah. I, I would but, lean toward I would lean toward Miles just because I think he's he's got a higher ceiling. I would lean towards Mikael because he's my boy. Um yeah. I mean, and I, I I would very much like to get a Villanova player on um the Knicks so that I can get that jersey. Which would be great. Um, one other point that I wanted to make to Tom about that uh, tweet is that was actually a part of a separate article by Begley. And the thing he said right before that is that the Knicks had sent some scouts to take a look at Donchick, our boy, out Donchick. in Spain. So, you know, don't don't forget about him in case we uh, win the lottery or something. Well, I think that's... I think it's right to, to talk about the tankathon going on right now. Like we're talking about draft prospects. We might as well dig into what's possible. We should, I mean, we'll probably do weekly check-ins with how low the Knicks can go at this point. But uh, I mean, I saw, I'm looking at the standings now. I see the Knicks are five games removed from the worst record in the league from, from the Hawks. Um, conversely, they are six games below the number nine seeded Pistons. So yeah, it, it's safe to say that the playoffs, <laughs> even if Porzingis were in the picture, well out of reach at this point. But I mean, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. There's um, a, I, a cluster between the Knicks and the, and the last seeded Hawks that currently the Knicks have the 22nd. Um, yeah, they'd be ninth in the lottery right yeah, now. Ninth and the, the, the eight teams below them are very much, bunched up and they're all very bad so the Knicks are three games ahead of the eight eighth pick which is the Bulls and four games ahead of the first pick or four wins ahead, or five wins ahead sorry five wins ahead of the first pick as Tom previously just mentioned like five seconds ago I'll repeat it yeah and I, I think what we mentioned last pod that uh that we should mention again here is there's two teams around us that don't have their picks. So that works in our favor because they have no reason to lose. And that's Brooklyn who is four games ahead of us and only two spots ahead of us, which is impressive. Um, and the Lakers who are one game behind us and don't have their pick to the 76ers. And I think there's a weird thing that if they, they end up second or fourth or something two through five it goes to the Celtics yeah um so those two teams have no reason to lose so hopefully they try to win and you know they pass or the Brooklyn passes us and the Lakers stay on the wrong side of us or right side of us depending on how you look at it um but I think like we said last week it's going to be tough to drop below some of these these teams. I think Chicago could pass us and Memphis could pass us. I would hope that Brooklyn passes us, and if all of that happens, we'd get up to sixth, the sixth worst record, which would be nice. But I'm not expecting it. Yeah, and uh, they've got a big game against Orlando tomorrow that I really think is losable. <laughs> I mean, the, the Magic—that's uh, optimistic and it's funny. I mean, Aaron Gordon is healthy. We we heard that report. I didn't know he was f- fighting any nagging injuries, but uh, I 
Kenny, you sent that tweet to us earlier that Vucevic and Gordon are, are looking to play tomorrow. And the Magic are the Magic are two and zero against the Knicks this year too. Porzingis missed both those games, but still, well, he's going to miss this game too. Yeah. He'll miss oh this too. It's it's in Orlando, um, and and a loss to the Magic here would put them uh, just three games worse than Orlando. So, I mean, there's enough season left here. Where three three games is that's doable. Yeah, and the thing is, all these bad teams have to have to play each other. Since there's so many of them, there's going to be quite a few games with a terrible team pitted against an absolutely terrible team. So some of these win totals are gonna gonna rise. And I got a little bit of a controversial take, but I I really do believe in this sort of like idea of the basketball gods, and if you just don't play the right way, that things don't work out for you, right? So like when was it Mark Madsen was was jacking like nine threes a game for a tank for the Lakers a few years back? I mean, that was like tw- early, like 2010s. But like, that's not the right way to go about it. You shouldn't be doing what the Suns did last year. That's a more recent example where they shut down Eric Bledsoe, a healthy Eric Bledsoe, like halfway through the season just for the purposes of the tank. That's just bad karma. But the, but the Knicks don't have any choice here. Like Porzingis is out for the season. Even their best roster is very much tankable. Yeah. So, like, they, they can do everything right. They can try as hard as they want. And, like, that's good. You want these guys competing. You want them trying. And the upside here is they, they're still going to lose a ton of games because they just don't have the personnel right now. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think that's right. Um, I would also point out that the basketball gods have not been particularly favorable towards the Knicks. Um, I think the stat is that since uh, the lottery was first instituted in the Patrick Ewing draft in 86, I want to say. 85. Uh, 85? That was 85? Yeah. So that was right after he lost to Villanova in the national championship? Yep. Huh. I thought it was the next year. Anyways, since then, uh, that was the only time the Knicks ever moved up with the draft lottery. Every subsequent time they've been in the draft lottery, they've either moved down or they have not moved at all. So, if if you're uh, if you're a believer that you know think these things even out, then you know we're due for for a good thing to happen to us in this upcoming lottery. Hey, let's hope so. That sounds good to me. Um, I don't know if we have much more to say uh, this next week. We we started talking about the Magic game. Uh, Hopefully we lose, but you never know. And then the, the other game we have this week is the Celtics on Saturday. And the Celtics have been doing bad themselves. But I think bad for the Celtics and bad for the Knicks are, are on two different levels. So that's probably a loss, too, if I had to guess. Yeah, I'd be with you. And Are we going to start optimistically saying, doing, doing like, oh, I, I think we're going to go 0-2 this week? Yeah. No, I'm I'm confident that we're not going to win another game this season, and I've been saying that. Um, the NBA record spanned across two seasons: 28 losses in a row by the 76ers. The single season record is 26. If we lose out, I think we get to 30. So, you know, maybe maybe we want to win one game in there to to avoid that embarrassment. But yeah, maybe you, not. I don't know. You don't want to make history <laughs> on that side of the ledger, but uh. No, I mean, th- this has been a good pod, a little bit of a hodgepodge, but I think 
yeah, next week we'll maybe we'll try and do a few different things. We we've talked about mixing it up a bit with different segments. I know Greg, you had a few on the last pod, and uh, I mean it's just been kind of a weird time with with the All Star break and everything. But I think we'll we'll get back into a rhythm here, um, starting back up next weekend. Yeah, definitely, and and especially with Porzingis going down, a lot of the optimism has has gone down as well. So it's it's tougher to talk about the games because you're so sad. You, you, you kind of just want to forget them. So we, just so we looking, do. Looking for do the that. positives. Um, before we sign off, I'll give you an update on the Villanova game. Villanova is up 30. Give us an update on what Mikael Bridges is doing. Mikael has 24 points on 8 of 10 shooting, 3 of 5 from 3, and then uh, 2 rebounds and 2 steals in 1 block. So That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty solid game. Pretty solid, solid game. Bring them on so, board. Yeah, sign them uh, yeah. up. So, I mean, follow us on Twitter at Talking Knicks. Uh, a lot of basketball.com. You can find our stuff. I mean, hasn't been much stuff there recently, but I'm sure it'll be back soon. So, hey, thanks for listening to us. We'll see you guys soon. Yeah, right, see you guys later. You.